You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. We'll give Jack a minute to get up here. I tell you, I, I, I can't say enough about Jack. Jack's going to bring the word this morning, and, and uh, Jack is a leader. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be old, up in age to be a leader. I mean, it's character, it's integrity, and Jack is definitely a leader in this church. He's a mentor to me. He's a mentor to a lot of people on this team, and um, he's going to bring the word this morning. So would you give it up for Jack as he comes up this morning? So I thought you were still in the back. Right on. I need to grab one of these waters real quick. Give me a sec. got off stage and I went to the back to try to get my ear monitors taken out and it got all tangled up in my hair so I was back there panicking because I had this knot tied around my hair with this cord and I'm back there fighting over myself so if I'm out of breath it's because I've been wrestling with my headphones (laughs) but uh man I'm glad to be here this morning I'm excited about this word uh I shared a version of it a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, and uh, since then, it's it's been trimmed and, and modified and stuff because, you know, that first time through, it was basically a culmination of thoughts from years and years and years and years on this topic, and so it wasn't like I had this idea and then wrote a message off of it. It was like me going through the archives and digging out all these things. And there's a lot of stuff in there um, that while it might have been good, uh, I think I forced it in because I just, I had too many ideas. I wanted to share everything. So I'm glad I got a test run through it. But uh, I want to start, I want to start off by asking the question, what are you called to do? And, and I want to, I want to give you a second to, to think about it. What, what are you called to do? What were you created to do? What were you put on this earth to do? And if I were to go around this room and ask everybody individually, just one-on-one, what are you called to do? I'd probably get a lot of different answers. Uh, I'd get, I'm called to be a mom. I'm called to be a dad, uh, a businessman, a rancher, a teacher. Some people might even say they don't, they don't know what they're called to do. But before we're called to, to do anything else, before I'm called to be a dad, before I'm called to be a husband, a worship leader, before I'm called to ministry, before I'm called to anything else, I'm called to worship. And I'm not talking about music. I'm not talking about worship leading. We're not addressing anyone's specific gift or, or talent or anointing or anything today. This is something that pertains to every single person in this room and is not pertaining to any specific skill set or gifting. Because while we all have those unique gifts, those unique callings and assignments, whatever, the one thing that absolutely every single one of us are called to do is worship. And so by just that statement alone, by saying we're all called to worship, we can see how important 
worship actually is. But with as important as it is, I don't, I don't feel like it's something we think all that much about in regards to like what it actually is and why, why we do it in the first place. You know, what is it? Why do we do it? It's just something that we do. And the problem with that kind of thinking, when we get to where we're not, we don't have a good understanding and a grip on what it is and why we do it, we just end up observing other people's worship. We start watching how other people do things and we just begin to just try to mirror what they do because we see that's how they do it. And so we think that's how it's done, but we don't have a true understanding of what we're doing in the first place. And, and, you know, I think about like a cooking show, you watch these cooking shows and we'll sit there and just be completely captivated and mesmerized by these people cooking this stuff on these shows. And all we can think about is how good everything looks. It looks just Everything looks so much better on TV. I don't know why. It never looks that great in person, but in, in, on TV it looks wonderful. And we're just sitting there just completely mesmerized by how great everything that they're cooking looks, but we have no way of knowing if what they're cooking is as good as it looks or if it's a complete bust. And so what we do is we go home and we try to mimic their techniques. We use the same ingredients they use. We have no clue what some of them are or what they do, why they used it, whatever, but we know they did it. So we throw it in there and we're just kind of winging it because we know what the final product looks like. We know what, as long as I can get what I'm doing to look like what theirs looks like, but we have no clue what it tastes like. And so when we don't know what that final product tastes like, all that work, all that striving is really for nothing. And so what we do is we watch other, per, uh, other people worship, whether it's at church, online, social media, whatever. And we see some people do it this way. Some people do it this way. Some churches have this going on. Some churches have this going on. And so we're, we're gathering all this information. We're, we're, you know, compiling all these ingredients together and we're putting all this stuff together to produce what we, th what we think worship is. As long as we can make that final product look like theirs. So my worship can look exactly like somebody else's. My worship can sound exactly like somebody else's, but it could just be empty noise and movement and have absolutely no substance. So when we don't know what the heart of true worship is, when we don't know the what and the why behind it, and we're just worried about making it look like what we think it should look like, it just becomes a religious exercise. And it becomes nothing more than something that we do just because it's what we do. You know, we, if someone asks you, why do we do this? It's just what we do. It's what I've always done. I go to church on Sunday, we worship. Go to church on Wednesday, we worship. But we have no clue what the heart of it is. There's more to worship than just knowing what it looks like. And so I want to share with you all a little bit about my, a little bit of my history and, and how I got to this point of having a better understanding of what true worship is. Um, worship is something I've been passionate about for, for almost 20 years, since I was about 12 years old. It's like all I've cared about, all I've thought about. But what I've learned is, is passion is not a substitute for wisdom. 
Passion is not a substitute for knowledge and know-how and know-why. And so we can be as passionate as we want about something, but if we don't know anything about what we're passionate about, it's just empty. It's just a flash fire. And so I grew up in the middle of this up-and-coming worship movement, this rapidly growing worship movement, had just traction going and, and worship services, worship nights, worship teams, worship artists, whatever, all these things that weren't even words 20 years ago are now these bigger than, you know, just these huge things and they're exciting and, and they're something you want to go to. They're bigger, they're louder, they're brighter and it's just very attractive. And, and I remember, uh, you know, at, at one point, Man, I'm to the age where I can say, like, back in the day, this happened, and it doesn't happen anymore. But at one point, every time a new worship record came out, like a DVD came out with it. Like, if it was a live record, they, they videoed the whole thing. Now you just watch it on YouTube. But I remember every time I'd get a new worship CD, I, I, we would go places all the time, and I'd ride in the back seat of my mom's car, and, you know, I'd have those worship DVDs in that car, and that's all I watched. I'm not talking about like some 12-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid who instead of watching like Bluey or whatever people watch today, like I wasn't, no, like I'm talking about like 16, 17 years old, riding in the back and just watching these videos of these big, I mean, it's, it's an album recording. You know what I mean? It wasn't just done in someone's backyard. It's in like an arena with like 20,000 people there, high energy, whatever. And so my perception of worship was, surface level. That's what I thought worship was. I thought that's what worship looked like. And I thought that's what I was to strive to be, not, not just as a worship leader, but just a worshiper. Like I thought if it wasn't there, it wasn't good enough. And, and so all I knew really was what I saw. I had tons of passion and no wisdom on it. And everything was surface level. And my perception of worship was all performance and execution driven. And so I had this expectation of what worship was supposed to look like. And if anything I experienced didn't meet my expectation, I was disappointed. I disengaged. I drew out, kind of removed myself from, I'd be sitting in the room still, but I really wasn't involved because it wasn't reaching my expectation of what I, this perception I'd created of what worship was. And so basically what I thought was if it was big enough, if it was, loud enough, rowdy enough, whatever, that the Holy Spirit would come and move. And I thought if I did everything a certain way, it became a rain dance. I was, I was chanting and dancing around trying to make it rain. And so everything, I thought if I did everything the, the right way, if I did it a certain way, if I did this, if I did that, it was like a combination lock, 42 right, 17 left, 35 right, whatever, that that was the trigger. That was the recipe to an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so the goal then became for nothing but to see him move. And I was striving for an encounter. And if I didn't have one, something was wrong. Something was, I either did something wrong, the worship band did something wrong. And I'm not talking about from like my platform. I'm not talking about like in services that I led worship. If this didn't happen, we did something wrong. I'm talking about if I sat through a worship service, if I went to a worship night or anything like that, or just that church period, if there was not a move of God, somebody did something wrong. And that was just my perception of it. And at some point, 
I, I just kind of reached this place where it wasn't like, you know, at, at one point I just had this thought, but over time just started having the sense that this is not what God wanted. This is not what God wanted from us. This does not please God. This is not his desire from us in worship. And so over that period of time that I start to kind of just have this understanding that we were doing something wrong as a, as a body, not just as worship leaders or whatever, but just our thought, it, it became very evident to me. The Lord made it very clear to me that I'd made worship more about an experience than an expression. I made worship more about what I could get out of it versus what I could give. I was excited about the experience. I was excited about having something to tell somebody about. I was excited about having something to take pictures of, uh, you know, having some wild story or whatever. And I made it about nothing to do with what I could give to the Lord, what I could bring to the Lord, that expression of worship, that expression of praise that he's desiring from us. I made it just about this, you know, it was like this, God, come do a trick so I can see you do something. And so today... I want to address some of these misconceptions that have developed in the church and give us a way forward to having that heart of worship, that heart for true worship, and how we can get back to that place where, where our worship is in alignment with what God wants from us, what God designed us to do. And I want my worship, your worship, our worship as a body, as a collective to touch and move the heart of God. I want every week when we come in here as a church for us to just be just welcoming the Lord in, coming and ushering in his presence and making it less about what he can come and do, but just getting him here. Instead of seeking so much of God, come and do this. God, we want to see this. God, come and do this. We want to see you move. We want to do whatever and make it more about God. If you'll just come, that's all we want and really striving after the heart of God versus striving for his tricks and what we can get from him. More than anything that you can do, I just want you. How can we get to that place where when we sing that, we mean that? So how do we do this? The first thing we have to do is we have to make true worship a priority. And you're going to hear me say worship a bunch today. You're going to hear me say true worship a bunch and, and the reason being is because worship has kind of become this umbrella statement, this kind of blanket statement that covers a lot of different things. Um, it just, it could mean a number of different things that you're doing during a certain time, whatever. And so I'm talking about true worship being like, uh, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because if not, I'm going to have to hook a huge U-turn. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm just kind of giving you the difference of if you hear me say worship, if you hear me say true worship, I'm kind of talking about two different things. So if I'm talking about worship, I'm talking about like that moment, what we just got done with, that like 30 minutes we just spent, and then true worship is like the heart of it. What, what does it mean to us? Um, so if I were to ask any of you what worship was, most of the time someone's answer is going to have to do with music is kind of most generally, people are going to say it's music, it's a type of music, it's the 30 minutes we spend before the preaching on Sunday. Or uh, some people even dive deeper than that and 
will say that worship is not just music, but worship is the slow church songs and praise is the fast church songs. And so there's a difference between praise and worship in that regard. Some of them are, you know, whatever. And the thing is, is worship has a lot less to do with music and tempo and more to do with heart and motive. It has, it has almost nothing to do with music. It really doesn't have anything to do with music. That's just how we do it. But worship isn't about an environment. It's not about atmosphere. It's not, it's not about creating this perfect moment, this perfect space, this environment, whatever, and, and, and all about these songs that we're singing. It's not about the environment. It's not about the songs. It's not about the atmosphere. Do those things help? Absolutely. Like that, they're tools. Like that's how we have to look at them. They are ways for us to f- express our worship. Is it easier in like a low lit room with like good sounding music on to like press in? Like absolutely, it's a lot easier than like being stuck in traffic on I ten and being mad at people. Like that stuff does help, but they're not requirements. And that's kind of what we've made it. Is it there are these things that have to be in place, and that's not that's not the case. But I want to give us three attributes of true worship, and they're not so much like characteristics, like ways that it should look, but they're more like postures of the heart. Like our our heart and our spirit should have this attitude in worship, these three different things. And the first one is praise. And praise means to glorify or to give glory to as in worship. So praise literally means to give glory in worship. We praise God for what he has done, not so much what we want him to do, but for what he has done, what he can do. And we praise from a place of of thanksgiving and gratitude and adoration and joy and confidence in him. It's, it's, I'm about to get ahead of myself again. Psalms 103 verse one says, praise the Lord, my soul and all my inmost being and praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Isaiah 12, 4 says, And on that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples and make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done glorious things, and let this be known throughout the earth. Psalms 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Praise is so important because it's how we introduce him to the world. It's how those around us hear of his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness. Our praise is our testimony. Our praise is a vehicle that carries this gospel through the earth. It's how we show the world what he means to us. And even more than that, it's how we show him what he means to us. Worship or praise is our response to him. And, and, and I want to touch on that for a second. Because in that time of me growing up with kind of this misconception, response was one of those things that I had kind of a, a crooked view on because I would come and I would sit and do nothing. And then when he did something, I would respond to that. 
So I was not willing to step out and respond until I saw him do something. But the thing is, is every morning when I wake up, that's grace. Every breath that I take is grace. That one song, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Every single breath is his grace in our life. So my praise is a response to his grace to his faithfulness, to his goodness. We praise him for what he's done. We remember what he's done in our lives, what he's brought us from, what he's brought us out of, what he, even what he hasn't done for us. But we praise him for what's already done. We don't just come and wait on him to do something to give us a reason to respond. Our praise is our response to what he has already done. It says, come into his courts, with thanksgiving and praise and sing of the glorious things that he has done. It's how we remind ourselves of his word. There's songs that we sing that are literally just declarations of his word. The lyrics of half of these songs are just scripture. It's how we remind ourselves of what his word says. It's how we remind ourselves of what he's done. It's how we remind ourselves of what his promises are and what he can do and what he's capable of. So praise is so important. The second attribute of true worship is worship. And so, like I said before, worship has kind of become this blanket statement. This covers a lot of different things, whatever. So um, I know it's complicated and confusing for me to say that worship is an attribute of worship, um, but that's what we're just going to roll with because it's important. Like I said, it's, it's about a heart posture, and, and you'll, you'll see why in a second, because worship means to honor or show reverence to a divine being or supernatural power and to regard with a great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. So we honor him with our worship. And when we see honor in the Bible, uh, for example, uh, when it says honor your father and your mother, it doesn't say honor your father and your mother because they do this or honor your father and your mother if they do this. It just says, honor your father and your mother. It says, honor them for what, who they are, not what they do. So biblical honor, uh, we see with David honoring Saul. David honored Saul for who he was, not what he did. If, if he, Because Saul's behavior did not warrant honor from David. David honored Saul for who he was, not what he did. So I honor God not for what he does, but simply because he is. Worship is an acknowledgement of how small I am and how big he is. It, it's, a, it's an understanding that many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose prevails. It's understanding that his world is bigger than my world, his plan is bigger than my plan, and it's submission to that plan. It's acknowledging that even though I don't understand what's going on right now, even though I have no clue why this is happening to me, why this is happening in my life, why this is happening in my family, why things aren't playing out the way I want them to play out, why my circumstances don't line up with the vision that I had for myself five years ago. It's understanding that even in the midst of all that, he's still God. And it doesn't change who he is or even just the fact that he is. Worship is an acknowledgement that he is. And it's that simple. We honor him with our worship. Or, yeah. So praise means to glorify and worship means to honor. Revelation 4.11. 
It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. So we've covered glory and honor. We give glory through praise. We give honor through worship. But how do we give power? How do we give power? We give power through surrender. And that's the third attribute of worship is surrender. Surrender means to give oneself up into the power of another. We give power by surrendering our will to his. By denying ourselves of our own desires, understandings, emotions, uh, reactions, uh, visions, plans, uh, agendas, whatever we have, it's surrendering that over for his will and his purpose. Matthew 16, 24. I've got, a, I've got a bunch of verses, guys, and I'm just going to fly through them because uh, we'd be here all day if I had you turn to them. Um, but Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. James 4, verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. John three thirty, he must increase, but I must decrease. Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want to sit on this for a second. All that he has, he's not talking about the stuff we can touch. He's not talking about your house, your, your business, your car, your, you know, whatever, your property, your possessions. That stuff's easy to get rid of because we're going to lose it anyway. He's talking about like your dreams, your plans, your vision, your, your desires, your pride, your selfishness, all of that stuff that we seem to hold on to that we don't ever want to give up, even if it's not bad. Like that's where we kind of get mixed up with a lot of stuff is we think the only stuff we're supposed to give up is like the sinful stuff. And a lot of times God just wants us to, surrend- wants us to surrender my dream and my, my plan, not because he doesn't want me to do it, but maybe he's got something different that he wants me to do that's bigger than what I could have imagined, but I have to be willing to surrender that over to him. So it says, if you're not willing, if you will not renounce all that you have, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Like we have to be willing in the good and the bad to deny ourselves of what we may want or what we think is best and seek his plan and his purpose. So we give glory through praise and honor through worship and power through surrender. Our number one priority has to be to give glory, honor, and power. That's the only, that's, that's what we have to focus on. That is true worship. It's all about him. It's all about giving him that glory, that honor, and that power. It's all about him, which leads me to my next point, which is it's not about you. It's not about you. So now that we know what true worship is, I want to talk about why we do it. Because 
true worship, as I kind of just laid it out and defined it, that's, that's not something that pertains to what we just did before I got up here. Like, you live your life that way. You know what I'm saying? My life should be to constantly be giving him glory, honor, and power. That's not just like a 30 minutes a week type of thing. But the why, why do we express it the way that we express it? Why do we do certain things to express that worship? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my career, my future, my family, my plan, whatever. It's all about him. So back at Revelations 4.11, it says, worthy, say, say worthy. Worthy are you, Lord, to receive what? Glory, honor, and power. It said worthy. It says worthy are you to receive glory, honor, and power. He's already worthy to receive that. True worship is rooted in worth. And your worship is a reflection of his worth to you. Your worship is a reflection of his worth to you. And the thing with worth, the difference between God and man in regards to this is as a man, I'm constantly having to prove my worth to other men. If I want to go get a job, I have to prove that I'm worth getting that job. And then it doesn't stop there. Once I get the job, I have to continue to prove that I'm worthy to keep the job. So men are constantly proving worth to each other. God has nothing to prove. God has nothing to prove. God is already worthy of more praise than I could ever give him. So why do we continually come and wait on him to prove himself and to do something new to give me a reason to worship him? There is nothing that he could do to make him more worthy than he already is. Before I even existed, he was worthy of my praise. Before he did anything in my life, he was worthy of my praise. If he never does anything for me, my family, again, he is still worthy of more than I will be able to give him. So why do we worship? It's not because I need something. It's not because I want something. It's not because I want to see something or experience something. I worship simply because he is worthy. That's, that's the reason. It's that simple because he is worthy. This verse I am going to have you all turn with me to. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Is this making sense? Are you all y'all with me so far? I'm going to take a drink while you all are turning there. Matthew chapter six, verse 25 says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is this life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? 
Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then saying, what are we to eat? What are we to drink or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first, say seek first, seek first. the kingdom of God or his, his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be provided to you. I want you to notice that there he said, seek first the kingdom and all of this will be given to you. Not seek first the kingdom so all of this will be given to you. You see what I'm saying? But that's what we've made it. We look at worship like it's just us holding up our end of the deal. We come into worship and we say, God, here's my worship if. Lord, here's my praise if. God, here's my life if you'll do this. God, here's my worship so. And what happens is when we do that, when we come and we say, when, when we're spending all of this time seeking first so that, what we're doing is we're putting a time agenda or a, a deadline on God to do what we want to see him do. We're coming in and saying, God, here's this if, and then we're not allowing him to work in his own time and his own plan and his own will. And so what happens is after all of this time of us seeing our worship not work, we get frustrated, we get discouraged, and we quit. We quit because our worship didn't work. But here's the deal. Worship is not supposed to work. Worship is not conditional. Our first priority has to be to give him glory, honor, and power. That's the only result that we should seek in our worship is exalting him and magnifying him and giving him as much as we can, giving him everything that we can because he's worthy of it. Now, are we going to have to worship through stuff all the time? Probably more often than not, to be honest. And do these seasons prompt us to worship more, to seek God more, to press in more? Absolutely, as they should. And I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying change the oil before the blows up. Don't wait on the car to blow up before you're willing to change the oil in it. We should be in constant pursuit of him. We should constantly be seeking him and worshiping him. And then in those times, yeah, it might get elevated a little bit, but don't do nothing until that time comes. It's one thing to worship through something and a completely different thing to worship for something. That's seeking first and versus seeking first so. Worshiping through something is worshiping despite my circumstance, where worshiping for something is worshiping to change my circumstance. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Jesus even told us that in this world, we're going to face tribulations. And Paul is telling us 
to give thanks and to worship in all circumstances. To me, that's a pretty good indicator that I'm going to have some seasons that are rougher than others. Like, you don't have to tell people to be happy all the time if everything's going to be cherry all the time. Like, you know, does that make sense? So that's a pretty good indication that I'm going to have to go through stuff. So I should, I don't want to say, I don't want people to be negative. I'm not telling you to just expect stuff to go wrong. I'm just saying don't be surprised when stuff does. You know what I mean? So don't just be like cynical Sally all the time and be like, it ain't going to work. You know, it's just life sucks. You just have to do it. I'm not saying that. I'm just, you know, don't do that. But there's going to be times when we have to worship through stuff. But know that it is God's will for us to do so. And I'm not saying that every trial that we face, every problem we face, everything that, every speed bump we hit, everything that kind of gets thrown at us, I'm not saying all of that is from God. I'm just saying regardless of who it's from, who sent it, it's God's will for us to worship through it anyway. And something else I want to point out about what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter six is he's talking about food and water and clothing. Like he's talking about stuff that like we need, not like fleshly desires, not sinful stuff, not stuff we shouldn't have any desire to be messing with or any. He's talking about food, water, and clothing, like absolute necessities to survive. And he's telling us, don't worry about those things. Like he's got it covered. And so we come into worship all the time, seeking wisdom, seeking healing, seeking breakthrough, seeking a move of God, seeking revival, seeking an encounter, whatever. These are all great things that we need. These are all great and wonderful things that we need, but that's what we've made it about. And he's saying, seek me. Seek me first. Seek my kingdom first. Worship me first. Focus on exalting me, giving me glory, honor, and power, and I'll take care of the rest. Because the thing is, like I said before, if we just put our focus on just getting him in the room, like that stuff follows him. Healing, breakthrough, revival, whatever, all of that stuff follows him. He's just that good. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And freedom's a big word. Freedom from sickness, freedom from addiction, freedom from depression, anxiety, whatever it is, that stuff just follows him. So if we can just focus on getting him in the room and not tossing quarters in the wishing well, hoping that he'll come and do something. Am I saying to not pray for those things? No, because the Bible tells us to pray for those things. I'm just saying in worship, prioritize worship. Understand they're, they're like two separate things because obviously like if my children are sick, I'm going to pray for healing over my children. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name and bring an offering and come before him and worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. True worship isn't transactional. Worship is an offering, not a down payment. We have to worship with an even if he doesn't mentality. 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew who their God was. They were in a tight spot. You know, they were about to get thrown into this furnace and they knew who their God was. They knew that he was able to deliver them. They knew that he was capable to rescue them, to change their circumstance, but they were, he was, to them, he was already worthy. So they weren't waiting on him to come and prove himself. They said, I know that my God can do this, but even if he does not, I'm still going to worship him. We can't continue to come into worship focusing all of our attention on our circumstances. We keep treating worship like it's the battle and we show up and we yell at the devil for 30 minutes. Like, I'm just as guilty. Like, I'm not pointing a finger at nobody. Y'all have seen me do it. I'll come in here and I'll just give them all of it. Is it okay to give the devil an earful? Yeah, like, you bet. You want them out of your house, you kick them out of your house. You want them out of your family, you kick them out of your family. You want them out of your marriage, you kick them out of your marriage. There's a time for that, for sure. But worship isn't the battle, it's a weapon. And we can't, don't, don't think that the devil won't sit there and take that butt to him all day long if it keeps you distracted from actually worshiping God. And even more so if he can keep you distracted and you believe that you're worshiping God while you're doing it. We, we come in here as a group of people to, to exalt God and to worship God together and we're all in here fighting our own individual battles and the devil's looking at it like, yeah, I'm getting yelled at right now, but 85% of the people in there aren't even focusing on God right now. They're focusing on me. He doesn't, he's not like wanting you to praise him. Like that's not his goal. He don't care if you're praising him or not. He just don't want you praising him. So if he can keep you distracted, don't think that he won't. The devil always wants us worshiping for something. And that's why I say worship is the weapon. Because when you go from worshiping for something to worshiping through something, his plans and his schemes are no longer effective in your life. If you're willing to stand there while arrows are raining down on you and say, worthy are you, Lord, Great are you, Lord, awesome and mighty and worthy to be praised. If you're willing to stand your ground in that moment, when all hell's breaking loose around you, if you're still willing to say, God, you are worthy of my praise. I honor you today. I worship you for who you are and what you've done. Not what I need you to do, but what you've already done. I praise you and I worship you today. When you're willing to stand there while all that's going on, his plans are no longer effective. Will a few of those arrows hit you? Yeah, probably. Like you're not gonna, you know what I mean? Stuff's gonna suck sometimes. Stuff's gonna hurt sometimes. But we have to be willing to worship through stuff and not for stuff. That's where the surrender kicks in because when my circumstances suck, I have to choose to surrender that desire to react, that desire to be angry, to feel abandoned, to feel hurt, to be whatever. I have to surrender my will to respond for his will for me to worship. And not just in the rough seasons, but the seasons where stuff's going pretty good. 
and I'm seeking a better situation from my already good situation. When I'm, when I'm striving for success, when I'm seeking growth, when I'm seeking um, advancement and promotion and success, I still have to be willing to surrender my vision, my dreams, my plan for his. Does that always mean that the stuff that I want to see happen, the stuff that I want to do, the stuff that I want to accomplish is outside of the will of God? No, it's not. But we have to be willing to surrender those things over to him, even if so. Just like Abraham with Isaac. That was a promise God had made to Abraham that he would have a son, and then he told him to give it up. And it took Abraham being willing to surrender that over, no questions asked. give thanks in all circumstances, not some, not a few, not just the ones that I like, all of them. Because worship is ultimately what I was created to do. It's what we were created to do, every single one of us. We were created and put on this earth to give him glory and honor and power before anything else. And we can no longer let our emotions and our circumstances, our ambitions dictate our worship. Sometimes our songs will be songs of victory and sometimes they'll be songs of encouragement. Sometimes our songs are going to be directed at us as reminders of who he is and what he's done. We're not always going to feel like it. We're not always going to feel like worshiping, and that could be for a number of different reasons. But whatever the reason may be, we have to be able to encourage ourselves in the Lord and get up and praise him. Because God is worthy of so much more than just when I feel like it. Sometimes we have to encourage ourselves by reminding ourselves of what his word says, of his faithfulness, of his goodness, the things that he's done already before. That's why we're singing these songs of stuff that he's done, what his word says, what his promises are. They're, they're encouragement for us to continue to get up and praise the Lord. Because we have to come to the realization that Jesus does not exist to fulfill our will, but we exist to fulfill his. Yes. And we've been treating him like he's this magic eight ball like he's this wishing well and all we're seeking is what we can get out of him rather than what we can give to him. If I don't have my dream job, he's still worthy. If I haven't seen the healing that I've been praying for, he's still worthy. If I haven't experienced the breakthrough that I've been seeking, he's still worthy. Because here's the deal. Worship is rooted in worth, not circumstance. Like I said, he's already worthy. So we encourage ourselves to get up and praise the Lord again and again and again and again. Because it is what we were created to do. Because he's worthy than more than I could ever give him. And when all is said and done, all that we leave here with is our hallelujah. 
All that I have that I can actually give him is my praise, is my worship, is my surrender. That's all that I have to be able to give him is that true worship, that heart of true worship. And when all is said and done, that's all that I have. So before we're called to do anything else, we're called to worship. So moving forward, live your life like that. Look at stuff through that lens of how can I give you glory today? How can I honor you today? How can I surrender? And what areas of my life do I need to surrender to you in? What things do I think are best that I've been pursuing, that I've been striving for, that you want me to surrender over to you, that I need to surrender over to you? Lord, we just come to you today and we praise you and we thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord. We exalt you in this place today, Father. Lord, we praise you for what you've done, Father. We worship you for who you are today, Jesus. And we surrender our lives to you today, God. Father, I pray that as we leave here today, that our focus shift from our circumstances, that our focus shift from our mountain to our maker today, God. Lord, that you give us the strength and the endurance to hold our ground when all hell is breaking loose around us, Father, that we can stand with arrows flying down on us, Father, and still declare your name, Father, that we can worship through our circumstances, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict us of what we need to surrender in our lives, what we need to turn over to you. Father, purify our hearts today, Lord. Father, lead us back to you today, God, to having that heart for true worship, Father. That heart that cries out more than anything than you can do, God, we just want you. Lord, lead us back to that place, Father. Lord, we praise you and we thank you today, Lord, and we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the power in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.